This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand On the Air. Otago Access Radio, in partnership with Otago Polytech, brings you Blowing Bubbles. Blowing Bubbles brings you positive conversations with people in their bubbles around the world. How are people living their bubble lives? Working from home, keeping kids entertained, and staying connected and getting exercise. And how are these things presenting us with the opportunities to find new ways of living? Every weekday, the Sustainable Lens team of Samuel Mann, Shan Gallagher and Mara Karatai reach out from their bubbles to chat with interesting and positive people around the world. Broadcast on Otago Access Radio 105.4 FM and streamed and podcast on oar.org.nz and sustainablelens.org. Bringing connection, joy, kindness and peace in the days ahead. Welcome to Blowing Bubbles, positive conversations with people in their bubbles, their safe spaces around the world. I'm Samuel Mann in Sawyer's Bay, Dunedin, and I am joined in Fokotani by Mawera Karatai. Kia ora, Mawera. Kia ora, Sam. How goes it? It's going very well. Now, do you want to talk about your new windows or your lunch with the Prime Minister? Um, well, I'll talk about both. So I got some new double glazed windows, which I'm super excited about but uh so this is this beautiful thing about being a new zealander jack was homesick from school and i had to go and have lunch with the prime minister so i asked the guys who were putting in the windows if they would look after jack (laughs) they said sure so i made them some lasagna for lunch and i trotted off to my lunch with the prime minister and i thought where else in the world could you do that than here hey oh trade guys do you mind babysitting the baby (laughs) Well, it's Jen, but you know what I mean. <laughs> and who are we a great day. introducing today? Today we have got um, someone who I hold in extremely high regard, um, Andrew Buchanan-Smart. I first met oh, maybe six or eight years ago. Um, he was uh, the head of, I think it was uh, Corporate and External Education at Waikato University. He'll correct me if I'm wrong and external relations, I think. And um, he used to come to Whakatani to be a judge in our business awards. And I got the pleasure of being able to drive him around to do all the judging. But what I really valued about him was the way that he championed our people here and how he was able to draw out their goodness for people who wouldn't usually stand up and say, I'm good at stuff. He had a way of getting people to own their greatness. Um, And and he's an extraordinary person for lots of reasons. But one thing I love about him is that he's also a composer and he writes music for for smaller orchestras like regional um, orchestras who don't have a whole bunch of instruments or money so that they can be beautiful too. I mean, who does that? Oh, Andrew does. Kia ora, Andrew. Welcome. Kia ora. Welcome. Uh, Did- how are you, my Are you I'm, well? I'm very well and very happy, thank you, and I hope you are too. I am extremely Good. so. Did Good. she get did she get your introduction right? Well, sort of. I was the director of um, corporate and external relations for the management school at the University of Waikato. So I was part of a team of twelve looking after the external relations, and um, that covered working with various chambers of commerce, one of which was the Eastern Bay of Plenty Chamber of Commerce, where I met Wawewa. And you are a composer? 
Yes, I do write music every now and again. When I have the time, I do some orchestral stuff. Um, I do some stuff for solo instruments. Um, I find it takes a lot of energy and a lot of creativity, though. And to do that, you need a lot of quiet time. And I'm involved in so many things that quiet time, I find, is diminishing in time. So if if you see what I mean. So the whole country managed to organise some quiet time for you. Did you enjoy this quiet they time? They did. I, they did. What I did, well, that, that's actually quite funny. Um, normally I would like to be able to say that um, I found a lot of time to compose. But one must remember that I'm married. And when a wife finds that there's quiet time, there's a long list of jobs to do. So my quiet time wasn't as quiet in that way as I would have really liked it to be. However, I have written a piece for oboe and piano, and I sent it to a friend to have a listen to, and they thought it was quite good. So maybe in a couple of years or so, it might be performed. But if not, it's just out there waiting for someone to enjoy at a later stage. Do you hear the music in your head? Absolutely. I, I'm, I'm old-fashioned. Lots of modern composers um, use the computer, uh, use specialised computer programmes. I find that a challenge. I don't mean I find it a challenge technically. I find it a challenge creatively because one is often working to the constraints or confines of the computer program. So it, in fact, can curb creativity, yet it can enhance replication. So I like to compose, first of all, using pencil and paper, the, the old-fashioned way. Once I've got my creative ideas formulated, then I transcribe to the, compo to, to the computer and can quickly copy them and transcribe them and, and do all the things that you can easily do on a computer but computers aren't very good at actually the initial creating bit well that's what i find anyway so for me it's a mixture of the human intelligence and the human creativity first then put it onto a computer which is a time-saving tool but how does a musician get to be working in external relations for a university and involved in business? Well, when I studied music, I realised several things. First of all, I didn't want to go hungry, so I got a part-time job at Fortnum and Mason's in the kitchen learning how to cook. And the other thing I realised that unless you were incredibly good, you would end up being poor. So I realised that um, management fed the bank account and music fed the heart and soul. 
So I'm one of those very lucky people that live very comfortably in two worlds. And the world of management for me is about strategy, it's about thinking, it's about critical thought, it's about how can we improve the situation we're in. How can we grow businesses? How can we develop businesses? And that, of course, takes creativity. So I suppose one could argue that for me, there's not much difference between growing a business and writing a symphonic movement in the sense that both have a structure, both have form, both have a purpose, and there are links between all of them. Let me try and put it this way. If I think of a musical score and I visualize it, it has three elements. One, it has a melody, the other, it has harmony, and the other is its texture and its rhythm. So if you think of a business, what do you think of first? You think of its interface with the general public. When you think of a song or a symphony or a piece of music, what do you think of first? You think of the tune. You think of the melody. Hmm. So you've got those two elements. So let's take it down one layer. And then you say, well, what's the texture? Well, that's the harmony. And what's the orchestration? That's the color. So if you think of a business, if you look behind what the general public see, you've got all the different departments. You've got human resource. You've got um, HR. Oh, sorry, um, HR, you've got accounting, you've got production, you've got supply chain, and that are all textures of an organization. So that's what I call the middle part. If you go down to the bottom part, you have what I call governance. Now, the governance for me in terms of music would be the harmony. Now, this I relate to sometimes the harmony drives the melody and sometimes the melody implies which harmonies you should use. Now, if I sit on a board of governors, if I'm on a board of directors, sometimes the directors will give instructions to the texture to tell the people at the interface with the public, this is the direction we're going. So it, the, there is a harmonic direction. Sometimes the people tell the governors, look, this is what's happening at, at the coalface. So that it gets fed back from, the, from there to the board of directors. So sometimes the melody leads the organization or the harmony and sometimes the harmony drives the melody and that's exactly what happens in corporations you've got the sales force and the management and the directors so i look at the 
is that it actually goes from the top to the bottom and from the bottom to the top. So if you analyze an organization and analyze a symphonic score, they're very similar. I have never um, thought of it like that ever. That's amazing, actually. So that's just one. Can you extend that model to things like how we've responded to the pandemic? The, the, the kindness yes, I, is the I, harmony. We, yes, I think we can. You, you've got, I mean, you've got the governance from Parliament saying one thing. Let's just talk about the border control. You've got the middle stuff saying... Um, we need to get tested and of course the harmony there got very confused because sometimes they were testing and sometimes they weren't testing and then you've got the Joe public coming into and out of the aircraft and going into the hotels and that's the public face so you've still got the people coming in and out of the aircraft you've got the middle management or the infrastructure trying to carry out what's going on that's the rich texture and you've got the government or the government saying this is what's needed now we know in some ways there was a disconnect and and the government and, and and the government had to change what they were doing and they admitted they were learning on the hoof because there were more people coming in than thought where we were coming in. So they had to redesign it. So you had this interaction between um, what's happening at the coal face, what's happening in your in your middle texture, and then what's happening with the governance. And they were interacting with each other the whole time. Exactly the same as a piece of music. I suppose harmony, melody and rhythm. I suppose the difference is is that there isn't a playbook for this. There isn't a score, and that there's no rehearsal. Exactly, exactly. It's just like creating a piece of music on the hoof. Is that it's a, a very? Is there a, is there a genre? I suppose there is, isn't there? There's 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 like jam sessions, but not so much. Yes. For, are there, is there an equivalent of jam sessions for more classical music? Um. Well. I would argue that there are jam sessions around jazz. It's called improvisation. Let's take the first of your music selections. Let's have Queen's Bohemian Rhapsody. Why this one? Um, well, I'm I'm the age of of, of um, I wouldn't say advanced retirement, but early retirement. And I remember it from many, many years ago. And the first time I ever heard it, I thought, this is a combination of rock and pop and opera and classic. So it's that lovely mix of genres. It has a lovely melody, beautifully orchestrated or scored or coloured. And I just like it. It's got a good tune. Slide, no escape from reality. 
Open your eyes, look up to the skies and see. I'm just a poor boy, I need no sympathy. Because I'm easy come, easy go, little high, little low.
how are all of the orchestras and bands? I see that you've conducted both the symphony orchestra and the brass band. It's, that seems to be a, a long way apart in my head. But how are those sorts of groups doing in the the lockdown and and the the beyond? It is really challenging, um, partly because the way you make music um, in an orchestra or in a band, um, you are forcing air out at rapid rates if you're in the wind and brass section, and you're actually sitting quite close together. So all all the orchestras have been really... um, put under pressure from from playing music together, the other challenge is the size of the audience. You know, you can't have more than X number of people in a room at any one time. So it, 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 it's, it's incredibly difficult. Are they going to come? Are they? Well, they will come back, but are they going to come back in a different form? Or is, are we going to see changes because of this? I think on one level, I I hope not because I really love the institution of the symphony orchestra or the string quartet or, you know, making music in a group is actually part about making music. Now, for me, music is a language. And I think we've done ourselves a disservice by separating out the performance of music and the theory of music. There is a theory of music, but it's highly analytical. But for me, if we think of language as a, uh, if we think of music as a language, there isn't a theory of English or a theory of French or a theory of Maori or a theory of German. There is just a language. And if we think of how we learn language, we learn it first orally, then we try and copy it. Then sometimes the next progression is normally we will learn to read it. And finally, we learn to write it. But it, it, it's as if they've separated out the reading and writing from the making of. And for me, it's an artifice. It's a sort of artificial separation where, in fact, really, it, it, it's very difficult to to take one apart because in a certain sense, if you can only speak a language and you can't read and write it, you lack the ability to understand because your vocabulary, in essence, is very small. So the more you can read music, write music, understand music, comprehend music, the greater you can appreciate music. It's like having a large vocabulary and a small vocabulary. I remember um, when I was going through school, everybody learned to play the recorder and a terrible instrument, but we all learned how to read um, a C. We could all read a C scale. 
and we could all play it and you knew how to play a B and how to play an A and that was the basic introduction to music and I don't know that they still do that. I, I mean, Jack's learning to play the piano, so he's learning music and that actually was a lot of your influence um, made me want him to be a piano player just because it gave him that that really solid foundation in music. But, um, but I think a lot of our kids these days are missing out on that. I think so. I think to a certain extent the recorder has been replaced by the ukulele. So I think they are still making music, but I think it's just a different instrument. And I think, well, why not? I mean, with the, with the ukulele, you can make more than one note, so you can begin to get har harmony out of a ukulele. And, I mean, ultimately, I come back to it as a language. If it is a language, how many people talk to themselves? You might argue that we all do, but, in fact, if it is a language, the essence of music is to try and communicate music to someone else. The greater vocabulary, the greater the understanding, the more people will want to listen to you. I always think that the performer has a certain, they have three elements that they have to get right and the fourth element is the most important. If you think of music, you must have the technical requirement to be able to play your music. So there's the technique. For me, that is a given. It, it cannot be disputed. If, if you haven't got the technique, and it doesn't matter what instrument, if you can't play your music to the required standard, you've got nothing to communicate. The second thing is, is can you intellectually or cerebrally appreciate what the music is about. So that's a brain thing. The third thing is, can you emotionally empathize and understand the music? So that's a heart thing. So in effect, you have three things working at once. You've got the physical dexterity of playing your instrument. You've got the intellectual capability of actually what's going on. And then you've got the head, uh, the heart emotional thing. Now, once you've got those three working together, you've got to sell it to your audience. If one of those three are missing, you diminish what you're trying to sell to your audience. So I call that sales the X factor. So I'm reminded of, well, of, of I mean, you take the top 10 guitarists, the top 10 drummers, the top 10 pianists, violinists, flautists, it doesn't matter really. Which instrument? What separates them isn't their technique. They're the top ten in the world. 
what separates them is their ability to communicate. And that is based on their intellectual understanding and their emotional um, comprehension of their work, of their creativity. And that is actually what makes us different. That is what makes us human. So it's the personality, it's the individual, which is the difference, not the technique, which is why I come back to technique is a given. I was sitting here... So yeah, I was sense. I was sitting here thinking we were talking before about how that your the the model of the the melody and the texture and so on can be we can look at the pandemic. That model you've just described is a really wonderful one for looking at the the success of the communication over the pandemic from the from the government. Absolutely. Absolutely. The government have done so well at community at communicating I mean, they've even admitted they've they've made a few mistakes. You know, they're learning on the hoof. But they've been honest, they've been open, they have communicated. And as humans, that's the one thing we need to do. We need to communicate. That separates us and our language. We've seen lots of societal-level changes over the last few months. What do you think is going to stick and what do you hope will stick? I've always thought that uh, values are more important than costs. If you get your values right, they will sustain you longer than the sheer cost of doing something. So yes, economics is important. We all know that. Finance is important. We all know that. But I think the government have got it right when they've said, you know, our health comes first. The health is a value. It is not a cost. So I think what they've said, rightly or wrongly, but I carry favour with it, is that they believe in the value of our community over the cost to our community. And I think that sends a very important message. I mean, we know that we haven't got an open-ended checkbook. We know that at some time in the future, all this will have to be paid for. But I think they put value ahead of cost for the right reasons. We've talked to Bonnie does Robinson. That make sense? Yeah, it does. We talked to Bonnie Robinson, who uh, runs a um, community care and hospital in Auckland, um, and she talked about how, particularly at the start of the pandemic, but but even going on is that it really did highlight how much that decisions were being made on the run and how that really exposed the values um and it really yeah. really showed how the importance of those values but this was not a time for learning values-based management so, yeah. no uh yes i totally agree yes yeah Bubble Sprite of the Forest of Orokanui, Dunedin's favourite goddess, 
Tahu Mackenzie. Kia ora koutou, nā mihi arohanui, kia koutou katawa hau. I hope you're all having the best day, beautiful superstars in your beloved universes. And I really hope that wherever you are, whatever is happening around you, this journey that we're all on together is proving to be very rewarding, very fulfilling and illuminating for you more and more each day. Who you are, a triumph of nature's art, perfect, unique and here making things better, thank you. So as we all know, I have been in recovery mode after my exciting mystery fever adventure at Stanedon Public Hospital. And today I have been luxuriating at the Womanshin and knitting some beautiful socks for birthday conservation manager Alton Smith. And with this wool that I'm using, because it's just self-patterning wool, as I knit it, it makes these amazing patterns. And of course, they're all the colours of the eco-sanctuary. Blue for the sky and the water and the clouds and the ice and the snow. All the greens of the forest and the white of the wind and the air. So it's very exciting to be able to create something really so simply. And of course, this got me thinking about who we are as a species of animal that we love to share and we love to create and we love to give gifts and really all of our life everything can be reframed in terms of a series of invitations to share and how much we choose to share or whether we choose to share whether it's a conscious sharing or not all of these aspects are our choice which is fantastic as well and really however we go into that process of sharing always makes things better, always contributes to that ongoing co-evolution of which we are all a precious part. I know for me doing this show with you all has just been so incredibly helpful over this journey through lockdown level 4, level 3, level 2, level 1, level 2 and level 2.5 for some of us and I think this is because you have invited me to share and I'm invited to share each day. And this, of course, enables me to feel very honoured and very special and empowered to reframe my daily experiences creatively so that I can hopefully share something meaningful and helpful for you, with you. And I know that in my own work, and tomorrow I'll be working with two amazing schools, I do my utmost to invite everyone that I work with to share so that we have a creative conversation and tomorrow I'll be doing this with amazing students at Hall School and at Tyree College and we'll be turning into native birds and thinking about how they move and what their consciousness is like and how they dance and sing for the school production and then I'll be going to see all these beautiful lizard habitats that Tyree College have been making. So quite often we find that when we do offer the invitation to share to those around us they really just blossom they really just light up they feel so special they feel recognized they feel important which of course everyone is all life is and it's not just our own species of course that we can invite to share but all life that surrounds us in that infinite web and it's not only invitations from our own species that we can receive and be aware of. It's really all interactions that hold this promise and this opportunity 
to be invited to share and invite the other to share and feel that sense of being honoured and appreciated. And it also gives us that fantastic chance, which is my favourite of all, which is for the inner nurturer within us to come forward. And this is my favourite and this is really why I think we're here. We have the opportunity to love and feel loved and show love. And of course, this is our highest role. This is our highest way of being. So I really hope that for all of you, you're seeing around you all the opportunities that are being presented to share and invite others to share. And I'll look forward to talking to you tomorrow. Thanks so much. Kakite. Let's play the second of your music choices. Let's have Hallelujah by Leonard Cohen. Why this one? Uh, I love the text. I think the words are absolutely marvellous. They relate to music. And uh, again, it's just a lovely, meaningful song. And it's, 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 it's beautifully sung. Um, I read somewhere that there were 75 verses. I don't think I've heard them all. And, and, and I think there's a, the, the, the one that we all hear is, is a lot shorter. But it has a beautiful sentiment.
wasn't much I couldn't feel So I tried to touch I've told the truth I didn't come to fool you And even though it all went wrong I'll stand before the Lord of song With nothing on my tongue What do you think we can learn from the pandemic and our response to it for other changes that we hope to make as a society, perhaps the longer timescale ones, perhaps climate change or or social justice? Are there any lessons there? Yes, I think we've learned that there's a lot more social injustice um, and it came to the surface because of the pandemic. And I think... Well, I would hope that this government and future governments will try to level out the inequities within the society. And I think, um, well, I, I sincerely hope that our technologies will become greener and we will listen to the earth and listen to our planet. And, I mean, it was actually marvellous having no cars on the road and having a clean atmosphere and looking up at the night and seeing the night sky. You know, I would like to think that this has given us pause to reflection so that the world of our children, our grandchildren and great-grandchildren is in many ways better than the world we have now. Cleaner water, cleaner air, cleaner atmosphere, and everything is not driven by the mighty dollar, and we have a more values-based society than a cost-based society. Um, Because, I mean, ultimately, you can drive everything in cost down to the lowest common denominator, and what is one left with? Maybe it's done us some favours in the the fact that it's shown how stark perhaps that relationship is, that the, the decision Absolutely. was made to focus on the health because we need that in order to have an economy. Exactly. And I think, I think it's made people reassess what important things are to them. And, I mean, 
just just now how many people are working from home how many people don't want to go back to the office to work i think this may change how we work as a society how how businesses operate and and what we deem as humans to be important for us and hopefully there is a, a more of a societal shift to a values based society because it's always the people at the bottom that get hurt first it's always the bottom of the ladder then the second rung then the third rung but actually if you can get that right and build on 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 the base of the triangle um you have a far healthier and i don't mean healthier just just in terms of medicine but a far healthier in terms of society in terms of thought in terms of progress in terms of evolution you know everything is improved the land's improved we're improved our health is improved the legal system is more just you know everything hopefully it comes together I, i i suppose i have quite a holistic view mm-hmm. of the world and everything is no man is an island you cannot take one thing away and treat it in isolation because it doesn't work uh, i think you know so i have some questions to end the show with and not very much time so we'll have to hurry what is the biggest success you've had in the last couple of years the biggest success well it's actually funny because i've never thought of success as being anything i've aimed for for me it's what i do rather than what i achieve if i happen to achieve because of what i do then, then yeah i suppose it's successful but i don't do something with the implicit goal of being successful Do you see what I mean? I For do, me I do. it's not the driver. The driver is doing. The driver is the being. Um I'm sure I have goals. Um at the moment I'm I'm working on um I'm I'm heavily involved with music education because I believe passionately in music education. Not that it's for um not that it's just classical or that it's for the wealthy music education is marvelous for anyone and everyone because it develops the brain it develops the mind the heart the physicality it it, it gets all the brain synapses joining up which helps the development of the individual so i mean if it was me music compul- uh, music education would be compulsory from the age of 5 for everyone we'd have a totally different world that that isn't saying that everyone needs to be a musician but the byproduct of learning it is enormous we're writing a book of these conversations it's called tomorrow's heroes it's our team of people doing good work so you're on our team what is the superpower that you have superpower Oh, I'm not sure um I like to think I like to think I like to be creative and I like to share my th- thoughts with other people 
That's not to say they're important, but it's quite often to test my thinking with other people and they'll either say, Andrew, you're barking mad or yes, you've actually got something. So again, it's that no man is an island. We reflect, we live off, we come together with the rest of humanity. And thank God we are all different. Wouldn't it be a boring world if we were all the same? It would indeed. So um, so finally, do you have any advice for our listeners? Yes. Whatever you do, do it for the right reasons. Do it for yourselves and follow your passion. If you're not passionate about something, it will lack integrity and authenticity. And for me, if you're not authentic, what is there? That's a good one. Thank you yeah, yeah. for that. Mawira, any closing thoughts? Uh, just to say, um, Andrew, thank you for everything that you do to enable people to collectively make this a more beautiful place that we live. Thank you for everything you do. Oh, no, I, I'm just me. I just do my small little bit as it comes along. And if it doesn't come along, I can't do it. <laughs> you know, like, ultimately, life is for living. You know, it's just one of those things. What do you reckon, Sam? I think that that's a wonderful place to end. Thank you. Let's go on living. Let's go out to the floral dance from Brighouse and Rastrick. <laughs> nice one. <laughs> listening to Blowing Bubbles, positive conversations with people in their bubbles, their safe spaces around the world. Brought to you by the Sustainable Lens Team, which is brought to you by Otago Polytechnic. We're broadcast on Otago Access Radio every weekday afternoon at 3 and streamed and podcast on oar.org.nz. You can find us on Facebook and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. We had a contribution today from Tahu McKenzie. I'm Samuel Mann in Sawyer's Bay, Dunedin, with Mawera Karatai in Fokutani, and we are joined by Andrew Buchanan-Smart in Hamilton. We hope you enjoyed the show.
This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand On the Air.